1: And podcasts, whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt.
2: Yes, and I have the indeed the pleasure of uh, introducing and welcoming back to the CCO airwaves. Do they still say that? Uh, <laughs> Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Julie, good morning. Nice to have you back. Hey,
3: hey, Denny. How are you?
2: I'm doing really well. Right. Always fun to have uh, have you guys, you and your colleagues, uh, back on this show. This is one, as you know, I'm not uh, preaching in the choir here, of course, because <laughs> this is one of the uh, the most favorite shows. And I'm happy to say, thanks to your expertise, uh, on the uh, on the air throughout the whole week.
3: Boy, that's I've, satisfying, isn't it? <laughs>
2: no, it really is. Yeah. we that's get great. We get a lot of hits, a lot of podcasts, a lot of folks listening when they can't mm-hmm. l- listen when we uh, actually are on the air right. live. But uh, it's good to have you uh, here. And uh, I was thinking, and I know, in fact, we already started getting uh, some text messages about Tree trimming, and are we approaching kind of a border of when we can and should should or should not trim trees?
3: Yeah, so this is still a good time to trim uh, fruit trees. So my ornamental crab needs pruning. I'm going to be pruning that uh, tree in the next week or so. You can do that through the end of March. And also oak trees too. So oak, uh, we're mostly concerned with oak trees about oak wilt. And from April through uh, July is a very high risk time for oak wilt to transfer between uh, trees. So we do not prune oaks from April 1st through July. And uh, the, it's a lower risk after that. And then, and then the best time is between November and the end of March. So you still have time to prune your red and white oaks. And we also can be pruning shrubs. We're working right now... Uh, and we just started uh, uh, doing the footage for it. We just started working on a prune, a shrub pruning video series mm. that will help people learn about different, the couple different. There's not a whole lot of different ways that you prune shrubs, but there's a lot of different shrubs, and so we'll be releasing that uh, as soon as we can. We're not going to make it for this uh, pruning season, but we'll but we'll be working on it through the next growing season, and so it will be available to Minnesotans and to people online. Um, oh, probably by fall or so, but okay, yeah. Well, that's so we're great idea. always working on new information to help. But no, that's a, as you can know, now. Mm-hmm.
2: we get a lot of questions about that very thing. So I'm glad uh, yes. you and your colleagues yeah. are doing that. Great. Uh, I was thinking too about uh, this time of year, what what folks are doing, what you might be doing. What about seeds? What about starting things from seed?
3: Sure. So now is a good time to start any seeds that need about six to eight weeks to uh, for the transplants to become, you know, to grow and, and be big enough to get them outside. So tomatoes and eggplants and peppers; those all require a fairly long growing period as transplants, as small plants, before you can get them outside. Uh, other plants, things like squash uh, and melons, those you can wait on. They they germinate and grow very quickly. And herbs are a good time. This is a good time to start herbs, too. Sometimes they're a little trickier. Things like lavender and rosemary are a little harder for people to start at home. But you can do that now, too.
2: All right, great. Sounds good. I, I'm thinking about tomatoes I, I missed last year <laughs> uh, growing uh, the, uh, what do they call, sweet 100s?
3: Yes. Yeah. Very oh. popular cherry tomato.
2: Oh yeah. Very, very sweet. And I did some other stuff that didn't turn out that great, but this, uh, <laughs> this year, but I've never done it by with, uh, starting from seed. Would you suggest I give it a go?
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. You can, uh, of course, purchase seeds that are quite inexpensive. And then, uh, you can also, <clears throat> you can also start them indoors. Uh, you can use a heat mat, which is a they're uh, available at garden centers and also online. That helps to keep a, a kind of a nice warm cushion for that uh, little plant as it's growing. And it prevents a lot of uh, issues like damping off disease that can damage mm. those new little plants. So it keeps the soil warm, uh, kind of simulating, you know, new spring soil. And, uh, and then also helps to promote better uh, root development in the plant. So, yeah, you should My, give it a shot. I should do that. Yep.
2: Keeps me out of trouble. Okay. Uh, let's invite our listeners to join in as we always like to do. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, please call Julie or text, whatever is easier for you. 651 461 9226. Text says this, Julie. Good morning. I put down some dormant grass seed late last fall. I can't remember what brand I use. I want to put more grass seed down a little later this spring. Is it okay if I don't use the same brand? Thanks for your help. I really appreciate your show. Well, thank you
3: for that. Yes, certainly. Uh, You can certainly put down a different brand of seed. The most important thing is to put down the seed that's appropriate for the conditions that you have in in your yard. So if you have a full sun area, which is really a prime growing area for turf, then you would use a full sun type of seed and if you have a part sun or a shade area you'd want to buy seed for those areas too that's more important than actually the brand
2: okay makes sense i know we're going to start getting lawn questions uh, Yeah, i got to get john one on here days. yeah absolutely <laughs> and tell us who john is
3: john trappy is our turf educator he's uh, like me responsible for statewide uh, horticulture and uh, he is a turf expert. He's also an agronomist, just a wealth of knowledge and a super guy. Just uh, I've really enjoyed working with him. He started with our group back in August, and he actually, Denny, if you remember, he was yeah. on the show a couple of times when he was a postdoc student with our turf. I remember that. And he actually, Denny, if you remember, he was yeah. on the show a couple of times when he was a postdoc student with our turf. I group, remember so. that,
2: yeah. Yeah. I just came oh, across
3: good. a picture from the state fair, and John is sitting next to me and you at the stage, at CCO stage.
2: Well, I tell you that, yeah, we look forward to having uh, John back on uh, mm-hmm. with you uh, in, in the near future for sure to talk about turf. Uh, let's grab a phone call, uh, Julie, from, uh, let's say Gary's calling in from St. Louis Park, I believe, this morning. Hi, Gary. What's your question for Julie? Hi, good morning, guys. Um, You were talking about pruning, and I'm I'm wondering, I I guess, yews and evergreens have a different kind of schedule for pruning. Um, So when's the best time to start pruning my yews?
3: Yeah, Gary, great question. So yews are a wonderful plant. They're one of our few evergreens that grow well in shade. So they're used in foundation plantings. They grow on the north sides of uh, buildings. A lot of our evergreens are full sun. And yews can be pruned anytime from May through uh, probably late summer. We don't want to prune into fall, and we kind of want to avoid that in general unless we absolutely have to because that pruning will prompt new growth. So you can start pruning your yews in, uh, in May, and you'll see some bright green new growth. You can just kind of, I like to say, knock it off or just cut off that new growth a little bit just to shear and, Kind of give your plant a nice form and not make it too tight. You don't want to cut too much off at one time, but just kind of knock off that new growth. It's the same with arborvitae as well.
2: All right, very good. I'm getting a signal. We need to take a quick break here, Julie. Let's do that. Uh, Inviting our listeners to join in on the conversation. We have text messages already, and if you'd like to call in and chat with Julie, great. 651-461-9226. Let's see what do we have currently. 32 degrees now in the Twin Cities. We hope to see a high today. is still a little below average. 43 will be our predicted high today. 40 tomorrow uh, with partly sunny skies. going to be a cloudy day today, however. Right now, 32 degrees here on CCO. Stay with us. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden show here every Saturday on the eight o'clock hour. This morning Julie Wasinhorn from the U of M is answering those particular lawn and garden questions. And Julie, as usual, a lot of callers, a lot of textures and I don't wanna wanna get back to it. But I wanna make mention I know it's coming up well it's almost April, but I know the uh, plant sale at the Arboretum is coming up what, in May?
3: Yeah, May thirteenth and fourteenth. And uh, you do need reservations for that, and those uh, reservations are opening up on the on March 27th. So uh, get get your reservation for the plant sale. plants, shrubs, all sorts of different plants that are available out there.
2: That's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah, it's really exciting. I went for the first time. I had never gone, and I went for the first time last year, and it was. Like, um, it was incredible.
2: <laughs> so, in a couple of days on Monday, basically, is when you can start. Yeah, a
3: week the, from Monday, yeah. 27th of March, you can get your reservations.
2: You said a week from Monday?
3: March 27th.
2: That's in two days. No. Today's oh, today's March 25th. the 25th. Yeah, it's Monday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is not a recording. This Sorry. is a live show. <laughs> I just it's want to double check. It's been a
3: really busy way. month. <laughs> yes, it has.
2: It goes by rather quickly. So Monday is when uh, you can start the reservations. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I should know w- that.
3: Today is my dad's birthday. So happy oh, birthday, Dad. I know you're listening. Happy birthday, Dad. Love
2: yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, good going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, I'm looking at the uh, okay, signal here. Okay, back to work right, let's do this. We'll, we'll mention that again, certainly, of course. But let's grab a phone call. I think Mike is first up here calling from uh, Blaine. Uh, Mike, thank you for waiting. What is your question for Julie? Good morning. Yes, I have uh, two ash trees that have identified, been identified by the city as having the ash borer oh. issue, and so they're going to be taken down this spring. Um, but uh, they're on the easements. So uh, the city will be taking care of that. But anyway, my question is, i eventually want to replace those trees with uh, other ones. Uh, one I'd like to get is a sugar maple. What would be another tree that would be a good
3: tree that you would recommend as a replacement? Okay. Well, th- well I'm sorry about the emerald ash borer. Um, ash trees are very valuable trees, and we have... So many, we have, I want to say like 90 million ash trees in Minnesota. It is a, a, a really important tree, so I'm, I'm really sorry about that. But it, that is an issue we are running into in many of our counties, the emerald ash borer. Um, so the sugar maple is, a, is an option. That's a good option. And there are different cultivars. You can also grow a species, uh, sugar maple. You could also look at uh, if you're looking for shade trees, you could look at things like uh, like a, ha- a hackberry, which is another native tree. that's a tough tree, has uh, a nice canopy, um, interesting bark. I always look at it and think it looks a little like cork. Mm. Um, uh, beech trees are great as well. Um, you could certainly grow a crab apple. Crab apples are lovely. You get some spring bloom. and then that with that sugar maple, you'd have the fall color. So that's a great option as well. We have a nice webpage on our Extension Yard and Garden website called Trees and Shrubs for Pollinators. And so you may want to choose one of your trees. You have the sugar maple selected. Choose one that's specifically attractive and helpful to our pollinators. And uh, that list can be found at extension.umn.edu and go to Yard and Garden and go to our Trees and Shrubs webpage.
2: All right. Very good. Uh, thank you, Mike. The texter says this, Julie, can I split my peonies this time of year or does it need to be done in the fall?
3: Peonies are best to, if you're going to move, actually, if you don't have to move them, uh, you want to divide, it sounds like they want to divide them, but if you don't have to, then that's really the best approach. Peonies are are kind of resilient, kind of resistant to being divided and moved. They have very, very deep fleshy roots and it's very difficult to get the entire root out and once you transplant them it's going to be a few years before they bloom so really consider whether you need to do that or not and then also with peonies uh, you would want to do that in the late summer and uh, so around august and uh, so let them bloom this this season and then take care of them later in the summer okay
2: Let's go back to the phones, Julie. John calling in this morning from New Germany, I do believe. John, thank you for waiting. What is your question for Julie? Thank you for taking my call. I have some hibiscus in a raised bed, full southern exposure right on the main street of of, uh, New Germany here. Um, Every fall, I, I cut them right back, and then I cover them with hay to keep them safe. And I'm just looking at the hay now, and it's pretty matted, and I'm wondering, is it but it's too early to remove it. It would be okay to fluff it up. Um, last spring, when I uncovered them, it appeared like there was some mold and so on, and I'm just wondering if that's an issue. Yeah,
3: I, I, don't, know if, I don't think it's going to be too bad of an issue because that those plants are going to send up new shoots from the base. Um, you can certainly go out and poke around. Um, we're going to be getting some snow, I think, later this week. And uh, I if if we continue on the path that we're having where we have uh lower than normal temperatures i would maybe just hold off uh uncovering uncovering them at this point but when you start to see them when it starts to warm up you could spread that hay a little bit away from the plant i don't think the mold is going to be too much of an issue because it's usually it's probably on the hay more than it is on the plants themselves
2: I'm looking at, uh, and I w- we'll have a look at the forecast in a couple of minutes, sure. but I see some overnight lows, Julie. The lowest is 21, and uh, that goes up to maybe 29. So still, uh, still below uh, average as far as overnight lows and daytime highs. For yeah, that
3: a little bit, a little bit. Yeah.
2: But uh, all right, uh, John, thank you for that call. Let's grab another call before we do the forecast. I think Donald has been on hanging on. Farmington is the place. Donald, thank you. What is your question? Thank you for taking my call. My mm-hmm. question is, is it true that wood ashes is very beneficial to rhubarb plant?
3: Okay, so uh, wood ash, so this is the ash that uh, is the result of a fire. So from your fireplace or a bonfire or something. Um I don't know if it's specific to rhubarb. So wood ash is uh, going to sweeten your soil or raise your soil pH. So a soil test would be the first thing I would do. And uh, and if you take a soil test and you have neutral, you know, slightly acid, slightly alkaline or neutral um, uh, soil pH, I, you won't need to add anything to that soil. So... Uh, it, and rhubarb is a pretty resilient plant. It's a tough plant, and it grows very large. And uh, it does need nutrients. It's a big feeder, so fertilizing it with just a good fertilizer for vegetable crops would be probably the best approach to that. But, yeah, you want to get a soil test before you start adding any kind of liming or, or um, anything that's going to alter your soil pH to your soil.
2: And as we head to this break, Julie, as far as uh, getting a soil test, I know the U of M does that. Uh, what's yes. the process of getting that done?
3: So, on our website, which you can get a link to that on a yard and garden, it's just, or you can just Google in soil test lab U M N. Essentially, it's about a nineteen dollar charge. You download a form, and it explains how to take a sample and how to send it into the lab takes a couple of weeks. This is a busy time of year for the soil testing lab. takes a couple of weeks. You'll get back information on the, t- the texture of your soil, which, Im- which gives you information on how well it drains, the soil pH, as I mentioned, and then recommendations for fertilizer uh, based on the phosphorus and the potassium ranges. We always have to add nitrogen. That's one of the nutrients that is mobile. In other words, it leaches through the soil, so they will always make a nitrogen recommendation. Sometimes you don't need phosphorus. Oftentimes we have high phosphorus, and uh, sometimes you don't need potassium either. But the nitrogen recommendation, sometimes you don't need phosphorus. Oftentimes we have high phosphorus, and uh, sometimes you don't need potassium either. But the soil test lab results will tell you.
2: All right. Very good. Uh, hang on, Julie. We'll take this break and uh, look at that forecast. We have about a half hour of the show to go. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in at 651-461-9226. Back with more here on News A 830. This is WCCO. Cloudy skies today for the Twin Cities. We'll get up to about 43, 27 the low overnight, 40 the high tomorrow with partly sunny skies. Partly sunny Monday near 41. We'll only get up to about 35 Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, there's a chance of snow, high near 36. Thursday, a chance of rain and snow near 38 degrees. And Friday, chance of rain and snow again. Otherwise, a partly sunny sky, high near 41. Right now, north winds at 6. We have a dew point of 21. 64% 64% humidity, it's overcast, and our current CCO temperature reading 32 degrees. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to folks like Julie Weisenhorn from the U of answering those particular questions today. And Julie, as usual, we have a ton of them. So Excellent. let's uh, let's get back uh, back to it. Can you overseed your lawn in the spring? Texter wants to know.
3: Yes, uh, you can. The best time to seed your lawn is going to be early August to late September, or in mid November, which is our dormant seeding. However, if John was on, he would talk about um, uh, uh, seeding it in the as soon as the soil is av- available, as soon as you can see your grass. <laughs> And uh, and you can do that um, as soon as you see that, as soon as the snow is gone. Uh, otherwise, you can also seed May through early June. Our grasses that we grow, the important thing to remember is that they're cool season grasses. And so they g- germinate best in cool weather. So seeding in July would, not, would be a waste of seed. But early spring, uh, fall, those are good times to seed for your lawns. Okay.
2: This listener wants to know, when I build a raised vegetable bed with treated lumber, is it okay to staple a liner of landscape fabric along the inside before I fill it with soil?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That is a, a good idea to do that. Um, I would, uh, the only recommendation I would say is leave a little slack in it because sometimes that soil will shift and move as it settles and it could, uh, You know, it could kind of strain on that, put a strain on that landscape fabric. But that's a good idea, especially if you're building those beds on kind of uneven ground. So uh, it will help to keep soil from leaching out or running out under spaces underneath the bed. So, yes, you certainly can do that. Do not put plastic, though. That was going to be my next question. uh, Don't use plastic. Don't use plastic because that will hold water and not allow it to drain out and you'll end up with... A uh, really bad growing environment for your roots, just too wet. And but yes, you certainly can put landscape fabric that will allow the water to to drain out through the fabric. Let's
2: grab another phone call. Julie, Fred's calling in from Purim, Minnesota, this morning. Thank you, Fred. What is your question for Julie?
3: So I have a resort, and I'm I'm uh, disposing of probably ten gallons of fish remains a day. And I'm hoping to put some pine trees or some trees on there to block some wind. How much is too much? If I dig a, you know, can I put like 20 gallons of fish remains in there and put a tree in there and it allows you to grow? Or will that be too much for a pine tree? And what kind of pine tree might I put there? Fred, I have never been asked about fish (laughs) remains in all my years. <laughs> um that's a really good question. I would actually com- I would compost the fish remains if you can. If you're getting that much, you could probably mix some into the soil before you plant. Um I don't think it's going to hurt the pine trees and you could do pines, you could do spruce. Uh you could do firs. Uh so different kinds of conifers like that uh, would be a good idea. Larch is great. That's a deciduous ever a uh, deciduous conifer. So that is the tree we see in kind of boggier areas, not necessarily wet, but kind of a little bit boggy along the roads and the in the fall the needles are bright gold and then it drops its needles in the winter and then they grow back in the spring. So I think you could mix some in there. Um I wouldn't be just piling it into uh, especially with a young tree, but I would compost it if you can. You know, you could, you could kind of uh, designate an area or build a, a fenced-in bin or something. The problem that you're going to have is, is you're going to want to mix it into other materials like leaves and, uh, and maybe even some, some soil that, you know, if you're doing any kind of excavation, is to mix all of that together. And the reason for that is you're going to get animals, and it's going to stink, you know, if you're yeah. piling up a lot of fish remains in one place. But you could certainly mix it into the soil. I know that there are practices where people dig in the soil and they drop in, a, you know, a fish head or they drop in some fish remains at that point. But um, yeah, it's going to be, you're going to have to balance the fish remains with carbon. So leaves, uh, some soil, um, grass. Well, gra- grass clippings are going to be nitrogen, but. Um, You know, mix it in with other stuff, I guess I'm saying.
2: Okay. Interesting question.
3: Leaves would be the best.
2: Yep. This texter Julie says, uh, I purchased some begonia tubers to start indoors. Should I plant them in pots with the idea that they will stay in the same pot when they move outside? Or can I plant them indoors with the plan to transplant them into containers when I do move them outside? Uh, Do I need to soak the tubers, too, prior to planting?
3: I don't know about soaking the tubers, uh, but yes, you could do either plant them in the pots that they're going to be in, or you could plant them in smaller pots and plan to replant them outside. Either one works fine. Um, I'm, I don't think you have to soak the tubers. I think just putting them into the ground would uh, and watering them would probably hydrate them at that point.
2: Okay. What is the best way, Texture says, to trim or prune a mulberry tree, and can we trim the top and sides?
3: So pruning a tree is going to entail a couple of things. One is uh, you're going to want to open up the canopy a little bit so that you can get more light and airflow through that canopy. You want to kind of judge the form of the tree. So uh, trees, you definitely want to have like a central leader, a main leader of a tree that will offer good structure. Um, Mulberry trees are a little scrappy, um, some of them that, uh, that grow our volunteers around here, but, uh, you just want to keep that canopy kind of open, look at it for structure, uh, eliminate any crossing branches that might be rubbing on each other or any branches that are really out of form. You can just head it back to, in other words, you can take back a branch that's ex- extra long or in the way you can take it back to another branch at that point too, we do have a a good pruning trees and shrubs webpage on our extension site that you can take a look at. There's some diagrams there that might be helpful
2: uh, this uh, listener uh, Julie says we we clear snow off either side of our stoop. Please recommend some deciduous bushes we can plant next to the stoop that will tolerate being buried in snow.
3: Oh, good question. Uh, well, the first thing to do is is to understand the site conditions. How much light do you have? Is it a full sun location? What kind of soil do you have? And then choose plants that will grow well in those conditions. And you're looking specifically for those shrubs that you can cut back or coppice in the spring. So that might be uh, could be dogwoods. It could be um, spirea. Uh, one of my favorites, and people will laugh, is a potentilla. Which can be cut back to uh, just you know in the in the uh, to one of the buds to one of the main buds on each stem that can be cut back. Ornamental grasses work great; those are herbaceous plants, but they you can have there's all different sizes of ornamental grasses, and those you do cut back, and so it's very easy to uh, get a really nice display in the growing season, and then just cut it back and can tolerate that uh, snow being dumped on it. So there's a number of different options there. Okay, good.
2: Let's uh, take another phone call, Julie. Joyce is calling in from Princeton, I believe, uh, this morning. Thank you, Joyce. What's your question for Julie?
3: I have a huge house plant, about five <laughs> feet tall. I think I call it a palm tree. It has spider mites. What, oh. What's the plan of attack? Oh boy, spider mites—they are—they are tough. I actually found spider mites for the first time on that lemon tree, Denny. My second lemon. Yes. Tree. Oh no. So I promptly put that plant into the shower and really, really showered it off. That was one of the things that I did. Spider mites uh, really enjoy hot, dry conditions, and so I'm mm. basically trying to change it. Washing off the plant is one way to start. You can also use uh, what's called a systemic. So this is a a systemic pesticide. And systemic pesticides are taken up. You put them into the soil, you water them into the soil, and they will be taken up by the plant and sent out, transported throughout the entire part of the plant, the leaves, the stems. And that will kill any insects that feed on that plant. So that's one option. Spider mites are tough because they're so small. Uh, but I would start by washing the plant off, see what you can get off, get the webbing off, um, and then if and then try a systemic. And to be honest, if it is just too much work, buy a new plant.
2: Yeah, when all so,
3: else fails. Yeah, right? when all else fails. It's not worth uh, the potential of contaminating your other plants in your house, uh, trying to save one plant that you kind of could take or leave. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Julie, this texture says, I'm having trouble growing anything in the back of my house. It is a light-colored stucco facing south and west with no shade. It's very hot. What grows without daily watering in a spot like this, do you think?
3: Okay. So, yeah, so this is a microclimate that's extremely warm and dry. So uh, one, thing you could, one thing you could do next fall is plant some bulbs, uh, you would be sure to water them in, as as you would with any new plants. But they are going to be early emergers, so daffodils would be great. Uh, daffodils aren't eaten by squirrels, and uh, and they come up early in the spring. So that would give you some spring uh, interest along that side of your house. Uh, other plants that would be good would be something like a, a northern bush honeysuckle. So this is a low-growing native plant for Minnesota, it, it's mostly foliage, but it does have some really nice fall color, and it's and you can just cut it back to the ground in the spring, and it is a very tough plant color, and it's and you can just cut it back to the ground in the spring, and it is a very tough plant. It's a good erosion control plant. Uh, it's used in very difficult sites. It's very adaptable to the soil, and it would make a nice foundation plant. It's very bushy. It is not invasive, um, but it does spread, so it would fill in that area pretty nicely. And it would tolerate some of that dry, hot condition that you mentioned. All right.
2: I know we're going to break momentarily, but I want to grab another phone call, Julie. Carl is calling in this morning from uh, St. Paul. Carl, what's your question for Julie, please? Uh, Good morning, Julie. so I have two questions. Uh, When's the best time to cut the honeysuckle down and the trumpet vine? And how late can I wait to do that? And how far to the ground should I cut them?
3: Sure. So the trumpet vine you can cut down in the spring. It will uh, put up new shoots and, and it blooms on the new growth. And a honeysuckle is the same. You could prune a honeysuckle. Um, let's see. Uh, you could prune those now as well. So uh, you can prune them, either take them down to the ground, as I mentioned. Uh, That's nice for creating a better form of a plant. Uh, Or you can just take out certain branches. You can take out the biggest branches, uh, about a third of the plant maybe, and that opens up the canopy and that allows more light to get to some of the lower branches and allow for new growth to um, emerge.
2: All right. Very good. Let's do this. Quick break is in order. Then we'll come back and uh, for the remaining minutes of our Smart Garden Show. Keep in mind that Andy Lindis will be around next hour answering those home improvement questions. So keep those in mind if you're in the midst uh, or planning some project. And the Twin is currently 32 degrees. We might hit 43 today, later today. Stay with us on Newstalk 830 WCCO. And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here along with uh, Julie Weisenhorf from the U of M and uh, our Smart Garden Show. Say, so before we get too far removed, and I know we like to mention this from time to time, but maybe folks who are new to the show uh, and may be new to the U of M website, tell us about that.
3: Yeah, so our website is extension.umn.edu. We, are, uh, we fall under the heading Yard and Garden, and we have a huge array of different sub web pages about flowers and trees and shrubs and landscaping and native plants, vegetables. That's a very popular area right now. And uh, also things uh, about diagnostics for helping you find, figure out problems. Uh, Maybe you've got spots on your leaves of your plant and you're not sure if it's a problem or just You know, cosmetic damage. We also have a tool called Ask Extension. So if you don't get your question answered or if something occurs to you during the week, go ahead and email in your question on Ask Extension. We have Master Gardeners, about 50 Master Gardeners volunteer for this opportunity to answer your questions online. And you can attach a couple of photos, and that's really helpful. Nice, clear photos just are super helpful in helping in diagnose, uh, diagnosing your issues. So that's extension.umn.edu. Great
2: website, great Thank resource. You. All right, let's do a little bit of a lightning round, if we may, Julie. Excellent. To help Ready some you folks out here during the winter, the rabbits chop down a lot of our bridal veil shrubs. Can I shape them now, or wait till they bloom, or will they even bloom this summer?
3: They may not bloom this summer. Uh, they bloom in the they bloom in warmer weather. And so the rabbits may have done the pruning for you. You can, if you've got a few branches, you know, that look a little weird or something, you can certainly take those down. Be careful not to take too much um, because the plant is going to be having to re kind of rejuvenate itself at this point. But um, I think it will come back. It's a pretty good plant. But those rabbits will, um, yeah, they go ahead and prune things for us all the time.
2: Another one, Julie. I have a partial full shade. Uh, spot that I would like to put a bush. Would you say a rhododendron would work in that area? Also, is it true that rhododendrons keep their leaves all year, as evergreens do?
3: That is correct. They are a broadleaf evergreen. Their leaves—they uh, retain their leaves through the winter. They're kind of a bronzy color. I have one out here. PJM rhododendron is a nice, uh, pretty, easy-to-grow rhododendron, and that part-shade location will be terrific.
2: Okay. Listener planted an arborvita a couple years ago. It is not growing well. I read that I could put miracle grow on it. When can I begin doing that
3: you can i would I would look for an evergreen fertilizer and uh, and then you could start doing that as soon as you start to see new growth coming from that plant. So if you start to see some lighter colored foliage on the tips of the branches, you could go ahead and start fertilizing it.
2: Good morning. This texter says the snow is off my bridal veil hedge, but still have areas that are still drooping, but not broken. Is there any intervention needed?
3: If, the, if you can shake it off, just gently shake the branches uh, to release that snow. If it's frozen on, just wait. It's going to melt off this week, I'm sure.
2: I like this. I <laughs> refer to this show as my happy hour. No, no politics or bad news. Thank you. Great show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we make a comment. point of avoiding those. Uh, <laughs> yes, is it definitely. too late to trim an Ohio buckeye?
3: Uh, I don't think so. I think you still could trim that uh, plant. That is a really nice tree.
2: This listener, and I know we have a couple of minutes to go here, this listener bought a second compost bin. This one is metal, blends well with the garage siding. Any problem parking it close to the house? I thought it would be uh, convenient.
3: The best place to put a compost bin is in sun. So that mm-hmm. way it warms up and it helps to break down the materials faster.
2: Okay. Ah, uh, this listener says, I kept my amaryllis for the first time ever over the winter, and it gave me four beautiful blossoms. Nice. Now that it's done blooming, what do I do with the uh, through the spring and summer? Do I fertilize it? Keep watering it.
3: Yeah, so treat it just like a house plant and uh, through the rest of the winter, just water it and you don't have to water it very much. Make sure it drains well so that you're not uh, you're not uh, saturating it. And then in the summer, or as the temperatures warm up, just put it out in kind of a shady area to start with, and then gradually increase that light so that it's in, ultimately in full sun. Grow it, uh, it will uh, add a lot of, it'll photosynthesize, put a lot of energy back into that bulb. And then in October or right before frost, you don't want to leave it out after frost, put it in a dark, cool location, let the leaves die back, stop watering it, and then take it out in about January, February. And, uh, and go ahead and prune off any of the dead uh, leaves and start watering it, and it'll probably bloom nicely again for you. So that's great.
2: Let's do one Wonderful. more. I think we've got about a minute Sounds or so good. to go. Uh, would your website have good information on, bu- quote, bugs on houseplants?
3: <laughs> yes, it does. We have a great webpage called Managing Insects on Indoor Plants, and we go over all the favorites. <laughs> so, And we talk about cultural uh, management as well as chemical management, too. So take a look at that web page. It's going to be under the house plant section on yard and garden at extension.umn.edu.
2: And in 60 seconds or less, Julie, <laughs> get to the Arboretum. And yes. when again is that plant sale?
3: The plant sale is coming up May 13th and 14th. Uh, get your tickets in the next, uh, they open up on Monday, March 27th. And uh and they're, uh, there's no charge for uh, members, of course. You do have to pay an entrance fee if you're not a member. But uh, yeah, it's a great sale. And
2: if you are going to the Arboretum, if I'm thinking of doing that this very weekend, in mm-hmm. the fact. Uh, but you, you have to make reservations online very easy, and it makes parking real easy.
3: That's right. Yeah, it it's basically kind of balances out the crowds. We're getting so many people at the Arboretum. I think it's over half a million people a year. And uh, and so this helps to manage yeah, the crowds a little better. Really
2: does, Julie. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Uh, thanks, happy birthday Danny. to your dad again. And, yeah, happy uh, let's birthday, talk, Dad. Let's talk soon. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Julie, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. Get those home improvement questions ready for Andy Lindus next hour. We're going to be doing our home improvement show. Naturally speaking, here on News Talk eight three zero WCCO.
1: Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News.